0: Hello, I'm Stephanie Perry, an executive coach and leadership consultant, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, Where Do We Go From Here? I started this in 2020 with the backdrop of the COVID crisis, as well as other crises such as climate change and social justice. I wanted to explore the consequences for leadership, for teams and organizations, talking with people who, like me, were trying to make sense of it all and make some longer-term changes. In the first season, I discussed with my guests topics such as learning from trauma, leading with a moral compass, and being socially responsible. In this second season, I'm going to dig into some of the challenges that we're facing right now, such as learning to live with COVID, responding to the climate crisis and facing the shadow of war in Ukraine as well as other global conflicts. I'm always looking for what does it mean to be a leader in a world of constant crisis, which can have, as we've seen, major impact on the way we think about work. My guests are thinking about these challenges through their own particular lens. And in our conversations, we are trying to identify what might be helpful for any of you who are listening and trying to work out what being a leader means for you right now. I believe this is a constant burning, and that understanding the context can make a big difference to leadership. So being self-aware and leading with purpose and intention are essential. I hope this podcast contributes to that. My guest in this episode is Debbie Bullock. Debbie is the well-being lead at Aviva in the UK, and I came across her one day when I was listening to the BBC. She was talking about the latest research into well-being from Aviva and doing so with passion and knowledge, and I thought she'd make a great podcast guest. What interests me about this research is that as luck would have it, it's benchmarked against pre-pandemic data so it's possible to see the impact of the pandemic on our wellbeing needs. Welcome Debbie, thank you for joining me in the podcast today. I'm just going to ask you to introduce yourself.
1: So my name is Debbie Bullock, I'm the wellbeing lead for Aviva for colleagues in the UK and I've worked for Aviva's since i left school and i've been leading the wellbeing team for the past four years including during the past few months of the pandemic
0: that's perfect thank you debbie i actually heard you on the bbc radio being interviewed and when i heard that interview i was just struck by the research that aviva has done into this topic you know it was recent and hot off the press And because it is such a topic that everybody's thinking about, it seemed that having some very recent research is something that's really helpful to uh, employers and to leaders who are really considering this topic. So what would be great is if you could just give me like a, a brief overview of the research, just so our listeners can understand what it was that Happened in the research, and that you know they can maybe access it themselves as I did because it's a very useful report.
1: Sure. The age of ambiguity research that Aviva conducted was with approximately 2,000 UK based employees, not Aviva employees, just general employees in organizations that have 1,000 employees or more. We conducted the research originally in March 2020 february march pre-pandemic again in august 2020 and then again in march 2021 and with having that pre-pandemic position it's enabled us to track the movement in certain key points around how people feel about work their financial well-being and their relationship with their employer and the impact that can have on their physical and mental well-being and how and their financial well-being and how that can play out across different um, demographics Graphics, and in particular personality types
0: that's great and um, it strikes me as a good bit of luck that you did some research just before the pandemic as well so you've actually got that as a benchmark so and you Very know, as much we so. Go through yeah as we go through it'll be interesting to, to see the changes that the the most recent research has uh, has shown up can you just say a little bit more about the age of ambiguity because I think a lot of our listeners will will instinctively understand what that means. But what what does Aviva mean by that, and um, what does that mean in the in the research?
1: In 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 the time when we looked at the data, it, it's about finding. People were 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 in that situation where things were becoming unclear. Things were changing in the world of work. That kind of uncertainty and that balance between uncertainty and Clear boundaries and the evolution of work has created that what we've called ambiguity. So we're in a with personal decisions and situations evolving and work based places evolving. It's created a a zone, if you like, of ambiguity where people are changing their relationship with their employer, with their purpose in life sometimes, and that fluidity has created this ambiguity.
0: That's a great explanation. And I think many of my clients have been facing that, that transformation brought by digitalization especially by technology and of course that's been so accelerated by the pandemic and 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 continues to be so you mentioned the personality types and i was really interested by that because it's a new way of looking at personality that i read in the report just describe those you know for me and for the listeners how they came about and and what they are so the personality types that we look
1: at is, um, we, we use the big five and, and the support of an agency you look at that to break the personality types down into four specific ones. So you've got our resilient completers um, who are potentially positive. They're just good at doing things, but aren't so maybe good with the flexibility side of things. Then you've got your impulsive warriors. They tend to be more conscious about how things might impact them in their future you've got your spontaneous survivors who fast moving live on the the flexibility nature of things that's what they thrive in and maybe aren't so good at the detail and the definition kind of things or structure and then another group that we've created in the research is what we're calling apprehensive achievers so they like clear goals and and structure again and what the research has shown is the impact on those different groups and characteristics can be different across the broad um, range of well-being and your interaction with work in the current environment.
0: When I read it, I tried to place myself, and I sort of felt I was a little bit of all of them. <laughs> so it was. So uh, does that happen?
1: Yeah, I think that is very true. I think, and it might be. It's it's one of those. It's never an exact science, so no one will just identify necessarily with one. We use the personality types to highlight that actually the response an employer needs with employees should vary as much with their personality type as with maybe some of their other characteristics. Your personality type and how you respond to situations and various different things can also have an equal impact on the current working situation and pandemic and how that's impacted your overall well-being.
0: So it's not just about somebody's skill level or do they have the right experience for the job but it's all this other complex personality piece that's important.
1: Yeah certainly the role of a leader uh, or a manager team leader is is Crucial in understanding the individual and their motivations and their personality type. And that that has been heightened because of the ambiguous state we're finding ourselves in. So the the kind of things that you might not have been as conscious of as a leader before because they didn't surface quite so much are becoming starker. And how you support that individual to get the best performance from them can change depending on what their personality traits are.
0: And what I was struck by this as well was that, of course, if you're a a leader, you too will fit in one of those personality types. So you might be (laughs) that apprehensive achiever, managing somebody who's a resilient completer, and there may be some tension or some clashes there. How does Aviva use this work with leaders? What do you do with it? We believe
1: at Aviva that leaders are a crucial and play almost the most crucial role in delivering for our organisation and supporting our colleagues and their well-being. They can help highlight and signpost colleagues to information on what will meet their needs so that the well-being provision, while we have a core set of provision that everyone can have access to, certain elements of it might suit an individual more than more than another. And we encourage our leaders to really get to know the people who work f- for them that they manage, um, including their personality type as well as their other skill sets. And that creates that. It's a tailored approach without having to have an individual well-being programme of benefits for every individual. As an organisation with fifteen plus thousand colleagues in, in the UK, we can't have 15,000 plus individual benefit programmes. So it's about a range of benefits, but delivering the messages around us Support programs and understanding how to get the best out of your team based on their individual style. So, using that information to think about is this someone who needs a conversation weekly with their leader to support them to be able to share concerns, or is it someone who actually their well being is more about as long as I get my time here to do my gym or my mindfulness or whatever, I'm quite self sufficient. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: Let's just move on to talk about well-being in general. So how does Aviva define well being? There's all sorts of definitions around. That's the classic challenge, isn't it? From <laughs> yes. a dictionary
1: definition perspective, it's about being happy and comfortable. We describe well-being as when you're in a positive state that enables you to be at your best. That includes being able to be yourself at work. From an inclusivity perspective, um, being physically and mentally well, but getting support when you're if you feel that that's not the case.
0: It's good to hear your particular and precise use of well-being because I think that probably fits with how many companies are seeing it but it has you know is one of those words that can be sometimes a bit fluffy and not well defined and of course there's a business reason for doing this as well so what would you say is the commercial risk if you don't get it right?
1: One of the phrases I often use is the fact that if you don't make time for employee wellness, you will have to make time for employee illness. So there's, there's an element of looking after the well-being of people in your organisation will enable your business to be at its best and perform at its best. Actually, one of the key parts of well-being is creating roles that have purpose that have autonomy, that with clear accountabilities that people are empowered to to deliver because that underpins the being of an individual because that creates a job and a role that they want to do. And they've got clear accountabilities and clear areas of growth. And that creates that intrinsic motivation, which underpins and supports the wellbeing of an individual then the, the the provision of prevention and intervention support from a financial, mental and physical well-being perspective sits on top of that.
0: If you just come at it from a superficial level as mindfulness classes or providing gym subscriptions or whatever, that's not going to be sustainable or lasting, is it? It has to have a deeper sense to it.
1: That's the key and we will always need intervention because there will be things that happen to colleagues outside of the work environment that they might need our support and help with from an intervention perspective right across all elements of, of well-being but if we if you can get the basics right and it becomes a cultural thing so it needs embedding in right across the business and while we have a team of well-being in the people function at Aviva the support Support for well-being needs to be across the organisation, at all levels, um, particularly at team leader level. Team leaders are key in delivering the well-being, but it's cultural; it's cultural in an organisation, and that needs to be then supported by the added benefits that you might have that you can use to support well-being. I've often described it as a three-legged stool, so the three legs being that kind of organisational culture. The benefits and services you can provide and then that individual accountability. And that's especially relevant in an organization where it's not a parent-child relationship, it's an adult to adult relationship. And in an in employment space, that's what it should be between an employer and employee in that kind of contract you have with them. And that that includes you taking accountability for your well being.
0: So Just going back to the report what are the sort of new insights that the the recent research offers especially given that you've got sort of the benchmark of pre-pandemic.
1: A lot of a lot of people in the research are beginning to see that blurring between work and home life and that inability to switch off which creates a potential risk for organisations of burnout of key individuals um, and any individual actually. So being able to support colleagues in prioritizing making that divide between work and home especially with a large number of people who are in effect living at work or working from home and the research has shown that a percentage of people are struggling to find time for their physical and mental well-being because of work so that that's coming out and then one of the other challenges that the research showed is understanding what An employee needs from an organisation to help them with that versus what the employer is offering. And while while many of the research participants felt that their organisation was trying to support them, it wasn't necessarily then in the right area that they needed it.
0: Can you give me an example of that, of, of where that gap might be?
1: So actually, we've got quite a diverse approach of how it's impacted people's financial well-being. The research showed us this time is the fact that from a financial well-being perspective, which is often a forgotten area of well-being, it has impacted people very differently. So the research showed that some people benefited financially from the pandemic because they've kept their job, but they've maybe been working from home. So they've been able to make significant savings. But then there are other people in the survey who are struggling across their family unit because one, their partner may have been furloughed or they've been, had reduced wages or the organisation they've worked for has, has ceased trading during the pandemic. So as, a, as an employer, how can we help... Educate them around how they might prepare for their financial well-being and their financial future. And we describe financial well-being as being able to live now, but also have security and understanding of how you might be able to plan for the long term financially, whether that's retirement or just longer term,
0: depending on your age. Yeah. So, so it sounds that that sort of definition of well-being. Is, you know, includes physical well being, obviously mental health, psychological needs, and this sort of financial well being that, you know, is, is probably something that not many companies have, uh, you know, really looked at in the past. But, but, you know, from the research and from what you've said, it becomes more and more important. What type of personality do you think is, is most at risk from the research? I mean, just sort of linking back the earlier personality talk to, to, to
1: this well-being it, it's difficult to say anyone is more at risk i think one of the things it's highlighted is how we support them um is, is needs to change so impulsive warriors for example less feel less comfortable about their job security than say a resilient completer so and that 's their nature of the fact that they will worry more about insecurities and and not having a defined and clear path. It might be that their situation is no worse or better than the resilient completer. They just think about it differently. See so research if listeners want to go and go and have a look at that has some hints and tips for employees in each employer sorry in each area of financial well-being and this workplace well-being exchange that they might want to have a look
0: at great we'll put that online as well so that it people can go to it just earlier as well you mentioned generations debbie so what sort of differences did you see between generations
1: there's a difference about
0: where people like to work so
1: the younger generation can see themselves moving more back into spending more time in the office and the social interactions that that creates Whereas Gen Y um, and Gen X might be more want to spend their time at home. For Gen, what we call a sandwich generation, those with older adult children and perhaps caring responsibilities, that could be because the flexible the flexibility it affords to be able to work from home more often fits in with their lifestyle choice at the moment. And they've already maybe over the years created the networks they need in an organisation and and that kind of thing. So there was definitely some difference in how people want to work. We looked at whether people think it's okay to take me time during the working day when you're, especially if you're working remotely. And actually 25 to 34 year olds were the group that were increasingly recognising and acknowledging the need to spend time looking after themselves. The research would indicate the younger generation are more open to having conversations about the employment fitting in as part of a broader work-life balance and integration. It's it's, it's not a balance anymore, it's more of an integration so that you work and you and your outside of life combine. The research showed that when people were looking for what they get from a job, as well as sort of their financial package looking at the organization and its purpose younger people more extensively are looking for that purpose led we're moving away from generation x who were very much felt quite often it was a job for life when you started at an organization you expected to be there for a long period of time as younger people now tend to feel that if an organization isn't delivering for them they are more likely to move about a lot and expect more from an organisation as a
0: result. I read as well that there's some data that shows that employees seem to be less career focused right now could you say something about that so I thought that was quite interesting.
1: The research would suggest people are re- re-evaluating where work fits into their broader life and that changes the relationship you have with work and um, and with your employers because you're looking to get something out of it that's a little bit different and looking to flex it around what works for you and making some priority calls really about what what is the most important thing when when you get to the end of the day and that goes back to having a purpose so if your if your role has purpose and you're connected to the purpose of the organization then you will quite happily jump out of bed on the morning and go to work, whether that be at your home office or your your office. And I think that that's come to light more as, as a result of the pandemic that we've all just been through.
0: What you're saying and, and what I hear throughout our conversation, and bring it to a close, is that that there's more, we're going to see more and more personalisation of, of, if you like, approaches to well-being and approaches to what the workspace looks like where that's possible and so really thinking about people's personality and what they need not just what you as an employer need but what the employee needs that's all about this personalization and that seems to be the the sort of general direction in which we're we're heading would, would that be fair
1: yeah i think i think that's a fair summary individual conversations tailored to support and Environments where we recognise that different people and different pieces of work can be done differently and understanding and flexing across that as organisations. But to create the best outcomes for the business, for customers as well as employees, it's got to work in the round. Just
0: going back to what you said earlier, all of this is really significant work in an organization it's about the culture and about the leadership it's not about doing uh superficial you know band-aid type fixes it has to be significant work at the cultural level very much so i always end the the podcast with the question which is the title of the podcast so given everything that we've just discussed what would be your answer to where do we go from here where do we go from here more conversations
1: would be my simple answer between leaders and employees crucial to understanding the individual needs to support people's well-being underpinned by organizations with a really strong culture of recognizing that to perform well colleagues need to be well and not looking at well-being is a business risk But understanding that there is also personal accountability for well-being and individuals are as accountable for that as the organisation. And that's where the adult to adult relationship comes in
0: to be able to articulate your individual needs. Fantastic. Thank you, Debbie. I think there's a lot of food for thought in that for for me and and for my listeners as well. I love talking with Debbie. She is so enthusiastic and knowledgeable about the topic of well-being. The research is solid and well presented and it's easily accessible. And for those who are not convinced that employee well-being is an important topic in its own right, she makes the convincing business case for why it matters. Thank you for listening to my podcast, Where Do We Go From Here? I'm Stephanie Parry, and you can find out more about my work at stephanie-parry.com. And if you've come this far, I'm sure you'll want to know that the music is by my husband, Jean-Pierre, and played by my stepdaughter, Judy. And this podcast is produced by the wonderful Hattie Moyer. Thank you. Goodbye.